What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. In the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener, and thought leaders to explore what needs to get done. In this episode, I'm joined by Alan Duke. Alan Duke's CNN career started in the network radio anchor chair with Duke. And as the uh, convergence of broadcast and print media began, Duke was chosen to lead Ted Turner's visionary CNN student bureau. Uh, Duke experimented with new forms of storytelling while working with young journalists all around the world. And today he's working at Lead Stories, which he co-founded. And Lead Stories' mission is to create technology to help journalists, marketers, and others identify and understand what's happening on social platforms with shared content in real time. Alan, thank you for coming on the show. Good to be here. How are you? Great. Uh, just uh, is a very, very busy time for fact checkers. Uh, so uh, but I'm glad to be able to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining. And uh, it's two days after the inauguration uh, recording. Um, open question, what's the state of fake news today? <laughs> fake news is still fake. And uh, I think that the big difference this month, as opposed to a month earlier, is I think more people realize what we've known for a while, and that is fake news is deadly. Fake news can kill you and can kill other people. Whether it's because you deny that COVID-19 is deadly and a, and a threat, and so you don't wear a mask or you don't want the vaccination, or uh, if it's the QAnon beliefs that cause you to storm the US Capitol and people are not, die, fake news can kill you. And we've known this, but I think more people know it now and as a result, it's it's getting more um, more attention, and it is not going away. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the various cycles that this goes in. Political misinformation. Uh, it does go in cycles, and if people are thinking, "Oh, we have Joe Biden, who's sort of boring in the White House now," how is there going to be so much fake news? If you remember, and you probably are too young. <laughs> Bill Clinton, when he was in uh, the White House in the U.S. Uh, in the 1990s, that was a time of, we didn't call it fake news then, we called it talk radio. <laughs> a lot of the talk radio stars that are still around today uh, got their big bump, if you will, in the 90s attacking the Clintons. And they're still attacking the Clintons with yeah. many of the same things and new things. So it's when you have um, people, I believe, the big part of the fake news lately has been the QAnon conspiracy theories. And it's been really building for the last two years. And a lot of things came together. This, what we call the Second Amendment uh, people, the militias, people with guns, um, the anti-vaxxers, those who were skeptical about vaccinations. And then 
there were those who uh, were the QAnon types who believed that there was this deep state around the world that was trying to control the whole world. And they, they were yeah. made up of reptiles who ate children, basically. Yeah. Those three groups came together one year ago this week. I remember it well when we started seeing a convergence of those groups and they're still together. But now what has happened since the election and the inauguration, the inauguration was the day, actually January 6th, when Donald Trump was confirmed by the Congress uh, uh, as the loser and yeah. Biden the winner. That was the day that all of that became an insurgency and, the, and they did an insurrection. We were watching for that and experts in, in this were told us the day that they realize that Donald Trump lost is the day there will be an insurgency start. Yeah. And that is exactly to the hour when it started. But now that it is an insurgency, it's very dangerous. And that's when we worry about domestic terrorism. And all of that is fueled by what we call generically fake news. So yeah. it's not over. Are we going in, is, is, is it a better position now, January 2021, than where we were? <laughs> I don't know if you could say better position. I would say as far as uh, addressing it, I think yes, for a couple of reasons. One, people are more aware of its dangers and its existence. Yeah. And uh, another is that we know more about how to counter it. Yeah. There are a growing number of fact-checking organizations. And but what I am afraid of is that the guard will be let down. Oh, the war is over or the election is over. Yeah. That it will settle down and people will all be polite to each other and honor facts. That's not going to happen. But I think there are people who are hoping that it's over now because there's yeah. no contested election in the United States. But what there is, is there's COVID-19, the vaccination. Yeah. And, and there's still politics, big yeah. time. I mean, even today, there are, there are posts on, on, on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Telegram and others of people who are convinced that Donald Trump is still coming back as president within weeks or days. And this is not about Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, but no. this is about in people's minds, not accepting a reality. Yeah. They live in an alternate reality. Um, it's as if they have their Oculus goggles on and they see something nobody else sees. Yeah. And that's kind of the sad thing about it is they like living in that reality because uh, do you have Oculus? I have one. Oh, well. At least I, I, I didn't, I don't own one, but I uh, regularly okay. well, We'll have, to, we'll have to meet up, maybe play some uh, ping pong or something. Yeah. But when you but when when you put these on, you go into a different reality. Yeah. And it can be quite fun, and you can be a different person or different experiences from your otherwise boring and consequential life. Not yours, but that's a great metaphor. And the the whole Q conspiracy thing to me is they're just putting Oculus on or something's being put on them so that they believe it's real because yeah. you can put Oculus on and you believe you're really there. If you yeah. suspend your disbelief and you want to believe it, that's Absolutely. what happens. And they're living, they're seeing something totally different. And that's very dangerous because try 
putting this on and driving a car in real yeah. life, you're going to crash it. Well, that's essentially what's happening, in my yeah. opinion. It's a great metaphor. Actually, for all content consumed via algorithms as discovery, right? Or is that too, uh, too general? I don't know. You're, you're over my head. You know, I'm just an old man. When I was a kid, we didn't have algorithms. We just had math. Let's dive into your organization, Lead Stories. What do you do? How are you combating uh, fake news and the problems we issue today? Well, we have uh, about 30 people around the world working for us now on four continents, and we have several clients. You, you mentioned Facebook earlier. Uh, they're one of our clients, and yeah. uh, but we have other clients. Um, one, we're operating in uh, for TikTok as a consultant. Yeah. In fact, I have two employees in Germany. Um, we have them several places in Europe and in, on other continents. We're consulting with TikTok to help them identify and um, address uh, problem videos. Yeah. Uh, so we have we have clients like that that we do, and so we we're we're um, approaching it by identifying and figuring out is this real? Uh, is it dangerous? Uh, not so much is it dangerous, but is it misleading or fake? Yeah. And uh, the assumption is if it is misleading or fake uh, and it's on a serious topic, then it could be dangerous. Our company doesn't take anything down or put any labels on anything, but we provide data to the companies that do. They make their own decisions. We, we don't actually make decisions for them. They do. We just give them our conclusions. And uh, why are you emphasizing so much on the decision part? Is that The, the most tricky part? Who makes the decision? Um, well, no, it's just that we're not a social platform. A lot of people think, oh, you're censoring us. Well, we don't really do that. No. The platform that you agreed to their terms and conditions, that's who is putting the label there or that's who is taking it down. Yeah. Um, but when you signed up and started your account, With them, not us. Yeah. You, you, you said, yeah, I'll agree to that. I'll agree to your community standards and your terms and conditions. And then you go there and do something that, oh, well, there's a label on it. Uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness, you're violating my, 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 the rights that God gave me. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go and check the terms and conditions you signed with the platform. Yeah. God may have given them to, the rights to you, but then you transfer them to the platform. Yeah. You are advising the TikTok and the Facebook, but you have really innovative technology in lead stories. We have that, uh, this thing right behind me is the dashboard for a thing called the Trendalyzer. And it will tell me, based on different searches, keywords and source sets, what's happening, what the hottest trending pieces of content on many, many, many topics yeah. and keywords are. And using that data, we're able to uh, use algorithms, but I don't know what those are, uh, to figure out what to do with them. But yeah, and, and that's a technology that we license to other fact checkers around the world and other companies that want to understand what in real time is happening Uh, with content. So you're providing the platforms with real-time data? No, we don't give the platform. This this isn't used by the social media platforms. This is used by fact checkers and other entities who want to understand what's happening on the platforms. I promise you that the platforms generally know what's happening on, on their servers. 
They have their own ways of seeing, but this is our window into what's happening. And what what are some of the key factors that you base the analysis on? Analysis of if it's fake news or not? Yeah. You want to get to that? First of all, we think. Yeah. <laughs> you look at it. Sometimes you can look at it and say, oh, that's crap. <laughs> you have to taste it to know, oh, that was but, crap. <laughs> but you do it at big scale, right? It's not a human. Uh, no, we actually do it at, at the human scale. Okay. This trendalizer doesn't tell us if something's fake or, or not. This will tell us if something from a certain kind of source set. Think of it as yeah. a, a, a fruit from a tree. We have certain source sets of known creators of fake crap. <laughs> yeah. And we uh, are able to sort through those. And but, but what happens is this helps us to know what's, what's viral, what's, yeah. more, uh, what's more relevant, or how it's spreading. Uh, if it's just one person, one place with a little meme that nobody's sharing, why bother? Yeah. Right? So that's what helps us with that. Uh, and it helps us to understand the whole narratives that are going because nothing happens in fake news. Nothing happens in isolation. No. Uh, there's not just one example, one piece of content that it is because people copy it and spread it. That's how it becomes viral. So yeah. we use other tools too that we don't invent, but there are other tools that you can have to to follow that. There's a thing called CrowdTangle. I don't know if you're familiar with CrowdTangle. It's actually owned by Facebook, but it's actually given away free to publishers and fact checkers and, and others to use to understand what's happening. And that's sort of the other side of what we do. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but we actually have humans that do this. People who are journalists who have been journalists for... 20 years or 30 years, um, or in my case, uh, 80 or nine, I think I've been a journalist for about 90 years. Wow. I fact check that. Might want to check <laughs> yeah. the timestamp on that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes so people can do some research there. Yeah. What we work on is in an open source way, bring transparency and accountability to content through timestamps and then educating policymakers and social media platforms on making a relation between the more accountability a sender takes, the further content can reach. Mm -hmm. So there's always freedom of speech. It can always be published, but before it to go viral, a certain amount of accountability must be taken. Mm -hmm. Is that something that makes sense from your opinion, it, from it, what it, you've seen? It does. It does. I've actually done a little research on what you do. So yeah. watch, watch some of your interviews. Uh, read some of the things. So yes, um, you know, authenticity of content is a big challenge. Uh, what our humans do is use technology to try to figure out, is this authentic? This video, for example, that is claiming to be something that happened this morning. Yeah. If you dig further into it, you look for clues. Oh no, that happened two years ago in another place. Yeah. And there are tools that are getting better at finding that, or or this photograph. Yeah. That photograph wasn't taken um, on this island, Jeffrey Epstein's island. It was taken um, in the Dominican Republic at, the, at this resort at yeah. this time. And so, and so there are ways of figuring that out, you know, reverse image searches, that kind of thing, but, um, or the metadata, but that often doesn't, that doesn't survive, you know, uh, when you're sharing it as a meme. Yeah to figure out if something's real or not. When it was created is very important to us. That's one of the first things we look at. Yeah. Uh, also, you want to look back at 
where did this claim actually start? Because a lot of the false claims are not new. They were made 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or longer. Um, maybe before social platforms, they were emailed around, you know. Before email, they were just, you know, <laughs> someplace else on a billboard or something. But where was this claim first made? What's the origins of it? So that's one of the things we look at. But um, some examples are very hard. And some it's just plain journalism. Call people up and ask them questions. Right? Yeah. And how do you, for example, if you have a narrative, is there a way to say, okay, this narrative should be dismantled so everything that looks like something like this narrative must be labeled at least? Or is there a way to do it on a narrative base? There are some more complicated pieces of content that we debunk, I think, that you're referencing that sometimes, like, we'll get a 90-minute video. There was the one, the pandemic video, which had maybe 50 different claims in it. And so our debunk was like, took a long, long time and a whole team of people to go down each claim. Yeah. But, but the interesting thing is, um, as I was saying, claims get recycled. And after a few months of doing the COVID-19 content, it was all seemed to be a recycle. You know, people were just making the same old claims with variations. Um, there's nothing new. It, it's all, you know, we've seen it before in just a different form and on a different vaccine or virus or, or whatever. But, but how, if you, you, for example, you debunk something, but the same story comes back in a, in, in a new cycle, same story. Is, uh, it, yeah. Um, it, but the question is, is your debunk, <laughs> the, the debunk you do, is that coming back as well? Is the debunk, yes, or do you I need to rebunk? Let, let me give you another analogy. Yeah. Let's say, let's say it's a virus, not a piece of social content. Let's say it's a virus and it's in the UK and then it, creates a variant. It, it evolves to a variant and it's more, it, it's different. Um, would the old vaccine still work against it? Yes, the old debunk would still work against the new, the new variation. But a lot of times we will publish a different article or we'll update yeah. the other article. But if there's one claim in it, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we do, it does, it does morph. It does yeah. evolve. Um, and uh, it's almost like we're, we're identifying and and trying to vaccinate against viruses with that and that and that they do morph they do that and so we have to adjust to that should people go to lead stories to check that out or is there a way to get it in their timeline as kind of an overlay oh read this instead of that well yes and no um you can go to lead stories um it's kind of an odd site in that it's we don't publish it for entertainment That's, that's one thing. Our journalists, the first thing I have to teach them is don't be clever with your writing. Don't try to be entertaining because most of them, that's what they were trying to do for their lives in, in journalism. I said, no, that's not the point here. We're not trying to entertain people. We're trying to stop false claims from spreading. Yeah. And um, there are people who go to the site and just look and see and laugh. You mean somebody thought that? Most people who go to our site are actually our critics, people who are mad at us for debunking yeah, something yeah. that they want to believe in. Yeah. Uh, but the majority of the people who see our content 
see it because it was put next to content on Facebook. Yeah. Millions, tens of millions of pieces of content. I don't have the exact numbers to tell you. And I don't, I don't even have the numbers because we don't track that. Um, but many, many pieces of content have the label that just says it's false or it's yeah missing context or whatever. There's a series of about six or seven different conclusions. And with that, our story would be there. And the story of the other fact checkers have, have flagged that type of content with. Yeah. So that's where most probably 90% of the people see our, our content and get to our website. Uh, you know, you can also follow us on Twitter. Everything's yeah. tweeted. <laughs> um, Working with big tech companies, with a Facebook and with a TikTok, what can they do? What what would be in two or three key points your advice to uh, big tech platforms over the world? What what role should they play in, in solving this and how? And then the same question for policymakers. Uh, I think the main thing is don't let your guard down. Don't think that the problem is over. Yeah. Don't be long. Do they think thing. that? I don't know. Um, I hope not. Uh, I don't think right now they do. I'm worried about more next month or next year or next yeah. two years from now. Uh, I'm Well, uh, Joe Biden in his uh, speech when he was sworn in, his inauguration speech, mentioned fact-checking and or false information. He says, we've got to do something about this false information. Yeah. So I think that was a shout out to fact checking. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of people, politicians, for example, we just found out yesterday, there was a, a series of articles out that uh, fact checkers have been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. That just came out yesterday. The IFCN, we're, we're part of the, we're one of the members of the International Fact Checking Network. Yeah. And all of the, uh, the fact checkers that are verified for that organization are the ones that you generally will see the only you have to be part of that to fact check for TikTok and yeah. um, Facebook and some of the others. It's a credential that we have our organization, which is a small organization of about 60 or 70 organizations around the world. Some small, some large Yeah, uh, nominated for the Nobel peace prize. I know there are probably many organizations and individuals who will be, but it's just interesting that a politician, someone in Norway, I guess, yeah. said, I think this is important. So that's kind of thing we're starting to be seen, especially I think what happened at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th was sadly the example that woke a lot of people up saying, oh, wow, these people really believe that stuff. You, you know, we would publish a story. I, I first published my Q stories, my debunks two years ago. Yeah. And, you know, Q wasn't a thing until you know, sometime in 2017, the pizza gate, pizza gate thing, that was sort of the origins. <laughs> and it, it was kind of small. It was only in the last year. And yeah. I, I, I say COVID-19 is probably the thing that really put it on cue in a lot of people's heads. Yeah. But it's gotten to be so big and dangerous. I estimate looking at surveys and seeing what I see, I think it might be 15% of the American people believe the, the Q uh, theories. Wow. And that's, that's pretty crazy. I hope it's not that much, but it may. The question is going to be is 
Will they realize that they need to abandon those thoughts in their head? How many will? I, it's already happening. Some are already saying, you know, this is BS. Um, you know, a lot of them actually believed, and many still believe, that John F. Kennedy Jr., who died in a plane crash in 1999, is alive. Wow. And yeah. he's still sharing that. And he's any day now going to come back and take over yeah. with Donald Trump. You know, they actually believe that here in Los Angeles, there is a cave with two million women and children who have been kidnapped underground, you know, millions who are being kept as prisoner there so that their adrenochrome, if you even know what that is, can be harvested and consumed by George Clooney and people and Tom Hanks and people like that. And that these people have tunnels from their mansions over to that tunnel, to that cave in order yeah. to get it. It's not true. I'll tell you that right now. But but they believe that. And yeah. as a result, it their minds are just like, I, I think I'm, I'm hoping that most of them don't believe that, but enough believe it to where you see it. Yeah. Being shared. And and, what needs to get done? Is it, debunking it is there what's the role for tech what's the role for journalism they're they're, they're not going to take the the Oculus off. reality goggles off just because there's a debunk that tells them to no when we write something it's not in 99 of the cases i believe or probably higher than that it's not going to change or shake them from their those beliefs what it does is It provides the basis for platforms to limit or remove that content from the platform so that fewer people are um, exposed to it. Uh, yeah. Think of it as perhaps this is the debunk, right? Yeah. You'll still, you know, you're not going to, it, the, the virus isn't going to get into your brain. Yeah. This, this a face is mask for the ones uh, listening. <laughs> huh? No, there was a face mask on for the people listening. Oh, without the, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that, the, my, my microphone wasn't sensitive enough to <laughs> let them know that you put a face mask on. Yeah. A debunk is essentially serves the purpose of a face mask. If yeah. fake news were a virus, we're able to filter it out. Um, and when you are on a Facebook pl uh, page, There is that filter. Now, um, there are places to where the filter is not as effective, for example, in private groups yeah. or in direct messages and places like that. We can't see and get into that. Now, Facebook has some technology to monitor that, but that's not us. But we, uh, they, they do use our fact checks and our conclusions in order to apply limits on content in those places that we can't go into. Yeah. I, I, I get emails all the time. Get off of my page. And I don't yeah. know if you're, um, I, I, I mean, I've got recordings of some of these phone calls, these voicemails. Get off of my page. Yeah, I, I saw. I, well, and then I check and see, oh, it's a private page. I never could see your page. Yeah. Facebook did that and you signed the terms and conditions for them. Yeah. And the, the, the check or for the big tech platforms, are they motivated enough themselves to combat this? Or is there a role of policy for policymakers to, uh, to solve this? Because you had all the stop hate for profit, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're, they're not all are convinced that big tech is doing enough. That's a good question. I think it'll be answered uh, 
I think what happened January 6th has meant that they will be uh, under more pressure to address the problem. It started in, you know, after the 2016 election in the U.S., they've got to, um, it, it started the process of where the platforms started addressing it. Uh, and the, the biggest and best thing that's ever happened was Facebook uh, starting to hire fact checkers. And, and we started the International Fact Checking Network and yeah. unified us and uh, brought fact checkers up to standards. And then Facebook has been the biggest funder of fact checking. Google does some of it, but Facebook, I think, does far more of it. Yeah. Uh, I wish Twitter would get into it. Uh, they're doing it all internally. Uh, they're not really, as best I know, contracting with fact checkers. But but there's the problem is that maybe there are some people at these social platforms who uh, believe that moderating the content is um, suppresses their their growth ability. However, yeah. then on the balance on the other side, you'll have the political pressure. Uh, yeah, you better do something, or we're gonna really <laughs> we're really gonna <laughs> suppress your growth. Uh, we're, you know that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not involved in the politics of that. But it is an interesting thing that that I think will play out, especially this year, much like it did after the election in 2016. That's kind of the cycle <laughs> together with all the changes right. of the White House. Yeah. And and just because there's a difference in the White House now does not mean the issue has gone away. It may actually be bigger yeah. and actually more serious because an insurgency. Um, I, um, in my journalism career, covered a lot of domestic terrorism in the U.S., yeah. um, you know, the Olympic Park bombing uh, in Atlanta uh, that happened uh, right next to the CNN headquarters when I was working there. Uh, yeah. Then six months later, the same guy that did that bomb did another, a, a couple of bombs, and, I, and one of them blew up right near where I was, I mean, just a few yards away. Uh, so I've seen that. The um, Oklahoma City bombing in 1995 with Tim McVeigh and Terry Nichols, it was a small cell. Those were domestic terrorists who are not unlike what I fear is going on now in our country again. Uh, you had um, Dylan Roof, who was the, what, 18 years old or whatever, who went into a church in Charleston, yeah. South Carolina and shot people during a prayer group, a, a Bible class. Yeah. Um, you know, I fear that There are a lot of those, there are more than those people than we've ever had before who are making their plans. I'm not fearing the big mob of 100,000 or 10,000 even people storming a building. I think that you see that coming and why yeah. they didn't see that coming at the U.S. Capitol baffles me. We saw it coming. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm worried about the two and the three people groups, the cells. Yeah doing things with bombs and things like that. So uh, that, and that can be a direct result of people believing fake news, going yeah. back to the pizza gate thing where the guy came in with a, with a rifle into a pizza restaurant in Washington, DC with families in yeah. there, firing a shot, thinking he was going to rescue kidnapped children in the basement and the place had no basement. Yeah, it's the, I'll put in the show notes the link to the documentary on the Netflix that's covering that whole issue. The, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I'm concerned about. 
and and that's one of the the really bad parts of this fake news problem. Yeah, one of the things if we through open source technology can make transparency and accountability, the goal is to make it part of the internet's DNA. What you can do on a bigger scale, and I'm, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, is maybe make the fact check efforts between a Facebook, between a talk, uh, TikTok, between uh, the networks, make it interchangeable between all content platforms. Is that something you aiming for? You, or, mean, uh, you mean when a fact check is done, it's shared amongst all platforms? Yeah. It, it, there's actually something like that now called claim check. Yeah. All platforms can, can access thing called claim check. Every time we do a story, in the metadata in our story is certain information that can be accessed by Twitter, Google, or others uh, that don't necessarily have fact checks, that they can do that. There, there is a problem I will tell you about, for example, with Google search. Google search, uh, I wish, would become more friendly to fact checking. Yeah. But they're algorithms or whatever, I think they will see, for example, a lead story. It's quite often when we will put out a debunk, the yeah. content that we are showing is false, ranks much higher in Google search results than our debunk. And we've brought that to the attention. And in fact, if you go to my partners, Martin Schink, who's in Belgium, you go to his Twitter feed, uh, every time that happens, which is almost daily, he has a hashtag. I think uh, something must. I think it's hashtag something must be broken, and he yeah explains that. So check Martin Schink's Twitter account, and he tweets about that. Uh, some of the platforms don't, even though it's there for them to get for free uh, yeah. through claim check. All uh, many many of the fact checkers take part in this claim check thing to, because we want our fact checks to get out there. Yeah. We are not trying to build traffic on our website. Why aren't we? Most websites do. But guess what? We don't have ads on our website. Yeah. We're, we're for profit. But we yeah. just made the decision that ads on our fact-checking website are counter to our mission of fact-checking. Yeah. Because yeah. the way ads you know, that are served up can really be bizarre right next to a fact-check, right? Yeah. The way that the ads are served up. It's too risky. Your search that you've been doing, like, let's say you're a pedophile, not yeah. that you are. You've been like doing some weird searches. Well, the ads that will be served up on our page will reflect some of the weirdness of your searches. Yeah. And then you'll say, wait, how's this fact-checking? They're being funded by this sponsor. Well, no, we don't yeah. even know who they are. We don't even see that page. You do. Yeah. But we decided that that was just too, uh, a year ago, about a year ago, we just said, you know what? We're just going to leave that money alone. We're not going yeah. to monetize our fact-checking web pages because it goes against that mission. It does something to our credibility. So we, you know, we may at some point put certain controlled ads or promotions on the page at some point, but we don't have any any plans, or we're not even thinking about that now. But just for the the moment, we we just say no ads. But we just want our content to get out there, and we want it to have yeah. an effect, a positive effect. I hope. And looking at the uh, information, the debunks rank lower. Uh, but if you have, uh, did you check in the data if fake stories in search rank higher than non-fake stories? Yeah, they do. 
that is a big problem. Yeah. Is, and, and why is that? Not why is it a problem, but why, why does it rank higher? Is there anything uh, useful you can say on that? No, no. I would think that they would be able to fix it because something must be broken with that. Yeah. And, if and, you and, and we go as high as we can up the chain and try to get people to notice. And, um, you know. Are there search engines in your customer portfolio? Uh, no. Are you welcoming them? Uh, sure. Well, they can just get it through claim check. Yeah. Free. So, I mean, the claim check system they know about and they can use that. And, and Google, I believe, does. But for some reason, there's this weird thing happening that's been happening for a while. We get very little, I mean, Google traffic compared to the others. I think DuckDuckGo sends yeah. us more traffic than Google. Wow. Think on that. Yeah. So there, there is an awareness in the algorithms or at least in one of their algorithms, in the algorithms of one of them, on the existence on it is it is a factor otherwise it would be uh in balance as it is with other platforms or with other websites it's not yeah we get no we get good results from bing and DuckDuckGo and some of the others yeah, yeah. but for some reason no, 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 but google if you have if you have the same amount of traffic from uh, google and DuckDuckGo, one of them is adopting their traffic based on fact checking maybe so i don't know But it's, you know, DuckDuckGo is far smaller than Google. Why do we get far more traffic? Yeah, that would be my question. From DuckDuckGo. Yeah. And, you know, DuckDuckGo is the preferred search engine of the QAnon people. Clear. Which is probably why we get more traffic, because the QAnon people are searching for that. Clear. Uh, they're our big audience. <laughs> yeah. Our traffic. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how some search engines have kind of... <laughs> Prefer is not the right word, but um, that, that there's difference in traffic based on the narrative you cover. Yeah. Let me do this. And you could always edit this out of the podcast if you want. But yeah. let me just like give you an example of an, an, an email. Yeah. I'm sorry, a voicemail. Just, just This is someone who, 26 seconds long, who called me from Rhode Island Yeah. on January 20th. This was just before the Capitol was stormed. This person was upset because they had a flag on their Facebook page leading to one of our debunks. This is just typically what we hear. I want you off my Facebook, your fact check. I'm not interested in fact check, check. Get off my Facebook. You might be a, a leftist media, but we all know you are. So get off my Facebook. You have no right to related articles, fact check. We don't believe you. And nobody I know believes your fact-checked articles. That's kind of... She was actually very sweet and nice. She didn't curse. She didn't threaten my life. I, uh, boy, while good. researching you, I, I found uh, heavy examples of, of, of telephone calls you get. Yeah, yeah. Um, come in every day through the email and, and phone. So that's, uh, that's what we're dealing with. To wrap things up, how will we end this decade? What will be the state at the end of this decade? <laughs> are, are you hopeful? Okay, so you're asking me to look at about eight or nine years down the road. Yeah. Uh, I actually, eight or nine, I, and, and this is the kind of thing that I've always done, is I've tried to figure out where is technology taking us and how does it um, fit in, which is how I ended up doing this fact-checking. I left CNN because I thought something needed to be done. And that was in 2014. Um, 
I will believe that, um, first of all, <laughs> I don't know that social platforms will look anything like they do now. I think the distribution of content in eight years will be nothing like it is now. I think it will be much more individual. Uh, we're always going to need communities, and we will, but we'll find new ways of forming them. Maybe we'll go back again to what it used to be 30 or 40 years ago, where they were actually geographic communities yeah, and not communities built upon common beliefs. That's the problem now is that people are forming their communities and their relationships, their friendships, and deciding what tribe they're in based on information, not on where they reside in, on the map, on the globe. Maybe we'll go back to basics. Maybe it'll be a cycle. But whatever happens, I don't believe that Facebook and Twitter, I think that those will be um, archaic ideas in eight years. It's going to change very rapidly, whether it's just because of economics or law or changes in society, or probably it's going to be changes in technology, things yeah. such as what you're working on. I think that we will... Um, Maybe just everybody will be wearing Oculus yeah. glasses, Oculus 18s or whatever by that time. Our iPhones will be, uh, what, iPhone 40? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and it'll be so much different. I mean, I've seen a lot of technology change. Uh, I, I came into the world of technology in 1971 when I was, I guess, uh 14 years old uh, as a high school student in the U.S., in Georgia. Uh, my school had a this IBM terminal yeah. in our business department, and nobody knew how to use it. And I and a couple of other students figured, oh, hey, we, there's a handbook here. We'll learn how to use it. And so we learned how to program in a thing called BASIC and yeah. APL in 1971, when if you wanted to play a computer game, you had to write the program yourself or know somebody who did. <laughs> and you would dial in using an acoustic modem to a mainframe computer. Yeah. So that's where, and we did have games and we did write programs and we had no teacher. <laughs> we just yeah. had to figure it out. That was how basic it was when I saw it starting. And that was about the same time that Bill Gates and, and others were spending in high school, spending hours and hours, you know, on the same equipment, same kind of servers. Uh, I ended up going into journalism uh, soon after that and went down a different path. But in journalism, you also see the evolution of technology and how the technology changes the way people produce and consume content. And I've seen that whole evolution. And now we go through an evolution in three, three or four years, you know. Um, and I think you're talking about maybe two cycles of the evolution by the end of this decade, easily, easily yeah. two cycles. And it's not going to look anything like it is now. First of all, I'll be off on some island in the middle of some ocean that I'm not even going to tell you about. <laughs> and I'm going to have the Oculus 40s on. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, yeah. Let, let's see where we are in, uh, by the end of the decade. Uh, Adam, maybe I'll move to Amsterdam. I'd love to uh, welcome you here. You've been here uh, before, many of course, times, but uh, many times. yeah, amazing city. But uh, yeah, let's see where where we as society will take it. Thanks for 
thanks for taking the time to be a guest on the Trusted Web podcast. Sure, I enjoyed it. Thanks for sharing the insights and thanks for the important work you do. Where can people find you? Well, I don't want them to find me. I'm in hiding. <laughs> where can't people? Where can't people find you? Where shouldn't they look? Wait, don't look. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, well, of course, leadstories.com. That's the website, yeah. and Perfect. that's where you can find me. I'm, on Twitter, I'm um, Alan Duke News. Alan Duke News. I'll uh, put that in the notes. And it does uh, have the blue check on it, so it's verified. So you'll know it's me. And, oh, and let me tell you what I use as my Twitter profile and my. Facebook, all my social profile pictures right now, I'm using me from when I was in the military and I was yeah. jumping out of an airplane uh, in the U.S. Army, sort of as a message to the militias, if they want to come after me, well, you know, go ahead and come <laughs> after me. I'm ready for them. Go on, go on. Thanks so much, Alan. And uh, we always end the show with saying together, let's build a trusted web together. Is that okay oh, yeah. for you? Let's, let's build trusted web together. Let's build a trusted web together. Thanks, Alan. All right. Take care. Perfect. Thanks. Uh, take care. That was Alan Duke. Normally, we do these episodes shorter, as you know, but it was worth making it a bit longer in this case. He has so much insights and experience with the debunking and working together with the big tech platforms. So uh, yeah, that's why we ended up with a longer episode. Super insightful. Check out the many links in the show notes. And uh, lastly, I'd love to invite you to go to detrustedweb.org slash podcast. What you will find there is our report on the state of misinformation as we surveyed thousands of participants across the globe to better understand the impact misinformation has on their lives and how they view that problem. There are incredible findings that have surprised all of us over here at Trusted Web, um, and they will probably surprise you too. Furthermore, you'll find all other episodes, education, uh, and use cases for building really a trusted web. It's all available there, of course, for free on thetrustedweb.org podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And of course, let's build the Trusted Web together.